returning to the six sources of Unitarian Universalism, part of the founding documents of our association, and a less known list of things that we hold in common. Last week we talked about the first of the sources, direct experience of transcending awe and wonder. It's a source that's about each of us individually, what our experience is. The second source that we're going to talk about this morning begins to broaden our scope. It says that Unitarian Universalists are inspired by words and deeds of prophetic people, which challenge us challenge us to confront powers and structures of evil with justice, compassion, and the transforming power of love. Now, one quick thing as we begin. If you look in your hymnals to find this source, at the front of the hymnals, there's all of the sources listed, you'll see it written as words and deeds of prophetic women and men. We talked about this last week, that we regularly return to these statements to ask whether they speak to who we are now. Every 15 years or so, there's a full rewrite. The last full rewrite was voted down, but it was proposed. <laughs> um, and at General Assembly a few years ago, a change was proposed and passed to replace women and men with people. This was for two reasons. First, it removes a, a gender binary from the source. Second, as we've seen again and again and again over the last few years, being an adult is hardly a prerequisite for prophetic speech. <laughs> Emma Gonzalez, Malala Yousef, Greta Thunberg, often our prophets are our children. So, what then is a prophetic person? I should admit at the beginning, actually, um, that I was not in favor of this final revision of the source. Uh, I supported an amendment that would have simply changed the source to prophetic words and deeds. I find it much easier to think of prophetic actions than prophetic people, but we work with what we have. A prophet in our tradition is not a person who accurately predicts the future. Prophetic people rather call our attention to the disconnect between the world as it is and the world as it ought to be. Often, but not always, this call to the world as it ought to be is connected with the direct experience of transcending awe and wonder that we talked about last week. Prophetic folks have experiences. They have individual experiences that they can then universalize. A prophetic voice speaks from a particular location, saying, this is my story, and then speaks to the universal. This is how we can be. So what are some prophets we could come up with? It's not actually a rhetorical question. <laughs> if you want to shout out names, I bet we can come up with some here. The Buddha, Rumi, Rumi. Rachel Carson, Rachel Carson. <laughs> Martin Luther King Jr., Eileen Durgan Clinchard, Linda. 
William Barber. Yeah, I've been thinking this weekend about um, the phrase, uh, we, do, we go to the moon and these other things not because they are easy, but because they are hard. That is a prophetic word. The work of Nadia Murad, decreasing and speaking out against rape as a weapon of war. There are many, many prophets in our world. And this idea, this idea of a prophet is an archetype, right? It's, it's a common story with characteristics that are shared across cultures and across traditions. In the Abrahamic faiths, so Christianity, Judaism, Islam, stories of prophets almost always follow a set pattern. First, there's a situation of distress. And in the midst of distress, God confronts the soon-to-be prophet. So Moses, after fleeing Egypt, knows that his people are enslaved, and he's walking around in the wilderness and sees a bush burning on fire but not consumed. Second, there is a commissioning. So the angel Gabriel takes Muhammad by his shoulders and says, proclaim the first words of the Quran in the name of your Lord who created. And then the third part of the story is the, the list of objections from the person who's just been asked to be a prophet. <laughs> and those are often lengthy. Moses claims a stutter. Muhammad immediately goes to talk to his family. Jesus goes into the desert. Jonah flat out runs away. That's the entire book is Jonah running away at this point. And after all of these objections have gone through, there's an assurance of divine help. In the Jewish tradition, it almost always follows a single form. I will be with you. I will be with you. And then last, there's some kind of sign. So Moses' staff, miracles, speech in other language, occasionally but not always the ability to tell the future. So when you think about the stories of the people you named a few minutes ago, can you see the sequence in any of their lives? the archetypal prophet. If you were to tell the biography of the Buddha, you could probably find Ish, this sequence in his life. It's a common enough story that just about anybody can put it together. If you know, if you know the sequence, if you know the pattern, you can find a way to hang just about any biography on it. But then that opens up a really difficult question. If just about anyone can claim the biography of a prophet, how are we to tell who is a prophetic person and who is not? So there's a story about 500 years ago in 1521. Uh, the German priest at that point, Martin Luther, was summoned to the city of Worms, spelled Worms. 
At issue was the books Luther had written, highly critical of the Catholic Church, calling for fundamental reform. He had been excommunicated that spring, but he was summoned to the, by the emperor to determine officially if he was a heretic. This was a, a diet. Just spelled out on the page, this looks like the diet of worms. But Martin Luther was presented with his books and asked two questions. One, if he wrote them, to which he said yes, and two, if he would recant what was in them. And he said, I'm not sure, give me a night to think about it. And so he did. And the next morning he came forward and said, my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. May God help me, amen. Traditionally, although not in the immediate reports of the event, he said, here I stand, I can do no other. So whether Luther was in that moment a prophet or a heretic is a dividing line in the history of Christianity and of Europe. The Catholic Church expelled him. The folks who saw his words as prophetic eventually took the name Protestants, Protestants. So how do we know who to listen to? We don't have anything quite as dramatic or delightfully named as the Diet of Worms. But the question of what words and deeds are prophetic remains a really important one for us to ask continually. For me, there's two guardrails when I think about this. First, for words and deeds to be considered prophetic, they cannot be contradictory to the other sources and principles that we hold as central. So if a person asks us to do things that diminish the inherent worth and dignity of people, I cannot call that prophetic. Likewise, a voice that preaches individual freedom, no matter how passionately or poetically, cannot be prophetic to me without also recognizing that individual freedom happens in the context of interconnection and community. Operation Rescue claims itself as prophetic. I do not believe it is so. Second, there's a guardrail on the other side. As much as, as much as prophets are in a conversation with things that we hold dear, the prophetic voice asks us to move beyond where we are comfortable. The job of the free press, the old saying goes, is to confirm to confront the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. It's the same with prophetic words. They should challenge us to move out of the places that we are comfortable, even complacent. This is what Greta Thunberg was doing in that speech that we just watched. There's a paragraph um, that Martin Luther King wrote in Letter from a Birmingham Jail um, that haunts me every time I read it because for me it gets at this point of where am I comfortable? 
I go back to it all, all the time. Because I wonder if I'm being described here. I wonder if we as a association are described here. He wrote from the jail, first I must confess that over the past few years I have been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that our great stumbling block in our stride toward freedom is not the white citizens counselor or the Ku Klux Klaner, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I cannot agree with your methods of direct action. Who, paterni who paternalistically believes they can set the timetable for another one's freedom. Who lives by a mythical concept of time and who constantly advises us to wait for a more convenient season. Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much, much more bewildering than outright rejection. That letter is 50 years old, but we could come up with plenty of contemporary versions of this. This is the prophetic voice saying, here is a place that you are comfortable. Is that enough? How can you move into discomfort and in doing so, help to do the work of justice. I know I often find myself in this place of discomfort. I hope, I hope in the mid-60s I wouldn't have been one of the people he was writing about. I don't know that. So this is the thing that prophets do whether they're talking about climate justice, whether they're talking about racial justice, whether they are talking about situations in Lincoln itself. The difference in life expectancy between North and South Lincoln. So, who are the prophets of our time that we're listening to? This is also not a rhetorical question. <laughs> Shout some names out. So what I want to leave you with is that we each have words and deeds of prophetic people that we pay attention to, that call us into new ways of being. And we should continually ask, is this a prophetic voice that I should be listening to? That's part of what we're called to do as Unitarian Universalists, is to ask those questions. But the fact of discomfort is not a reason to stop listening. So whoever those people are for you, for me, Greta Thunberg, who we heard earlier, young people calling BS on the lack of gun control legislation, William Barber calling for robust public faith present in civic life. It's important to keep listening. So next week, 
we will talk about, we will broaden our scope even wider to talk about wisdom from the world's traditions. But until we do, think about who the voices and actions that you're listening to are and how you're listening and what actions, what changes they are calling you to make. Amen.